I got a new guitar for Christmas. I caught my nuts on it the other day, though. It was pretty It's time for some cheap talk. You're listening to Trick Chat. And with that familiar music, you know what time it is. It's so good to see you again. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Cheap Talk podcast, the only podcast that I know of about Cheap Trick. And if you're out there, uh, let us know. Stop by and say hi on our Facebook page. Today, we hope you're standing on the edge for this one because we're going to discuss standing on the edge. And we have a nice set of combatants, personalities, and discussionaires. We have uh, the ever hairy Matt Border, Woo! The ever intellectual and all-knowing music guru, BJ Kahuna. <laughs> from the Rock and Hello. Roll podcast. And we have Tommy Summers joining us. A uh, fellow Cheap Trick fan, as it turns out. He's from a show some of you may have heard of called Three Sides of the Coin, where they discuss some band and makeup. But, uh, Tommy, say hi and introduce yourself, and please tell us how you became a Cheap Trick fan. Hello, hello, guys. How's it going? Pretty good. Glad um, you're here. I, uh, I've been a Cheap Trick fan since you know, probably 77, maybe 78. It wasn't the first record, and I don't quite remember. I think my first Cheap Trick record was um, In Color. Great yeah and um i just they were the only one at the well i shouldn't say that they were one of the only two bands to break the the kiss barrier at that point in my head what was the other van halen there you go yeah when i when i heard eruption that, that changed my life mm-hmm. that was a seminal moment for me just like the first time i heard black dog by there zeppelin and i just I, I i'm always attracted to bands that have great songs with hooks and that's cheap trick all the way through absolutely yeah you know it's funny you mentioned that they're one of the bands that broke through that barrier because and i I don't want to get off on a whole kiss thing but that was the same thing and as far as van halen went i loved van halen but i hated them at the same time because it was like oh no someone's becoming cool in school now and and guys would come up and like yeah kiss is over and i'm like yeah but gene simmons found van halen and you know god but i tried but i tried yeah. to carry that flag for a while but uh, you know <laughs> that well, someone happened, said on our podcast the other day on youtube or something they're just like why does everybody all these kiss fans like cheap trick it's like well, how can you not exactly yeah you know i mean i don't consider kiss metal they're not heavy metal to me they're hard rock or pop rock just like motley Crue, they've got really good songs that have hooks you know it's just a different gimmick and cheap trick to me straddles that barrier between uh hard rock punk and pop somehow they manage to touch all those things and to me they have the hard rock tendencies of a kiss or just just the sound of not, not so much imitating the sound but the harder drums and the harder instrumentation with the beautiful melodies and the arrangements of the Beatles. It's I'm yeah. a, I'm a Beatles fan so it's going to pop up in anything that I love. I immediately go to that. Well, that's very cool. Uh we I understand this is one of your favorite albums, Tommy. 
Yeah, I would say it's in my top five. Okay, yeah. very cool. Well, welcome to the show, and Thank you. let's get going. Uh, Standing on the Edge was recorded in 84 and 85. The album is 39 minutes and 44 seconds long. We'll probably talk about it for way too long. And uh, Jack Douglas returns to the production chair. Uh, let's uh, kind of look at the singles. We had Tonight It's You backed up with Wild Wild Women. That went to number 44 on the U.S. in the pop chart and number 8 in the U.S. mainstream rock. And then two singles followed, Little Sister and How About You. They obviously did not do as well as Tonight It's You. Um, Let's take the first song. Let's kick it off, side one, with Little Sister. thoughts on little sister I, I love this song i think it's absolutely fantastic to me this holds up and you know i saw jack douglas a couple of weeks ago because he was in town recording an album with a friend of mine who's in the odd fathers brent aarons and uh, i should have ta- asked him about this and didn't but I, I like his production i like what jack brings to the table so for me the whole record is is excellent but this is one of the strongest tracks you know, you talk about Jack Douglas uh, producing it. Uh, there was some problems, uh, according to Wikipedia, which is the all-knowing thing. And I'm just going to read this little bit here. Cheap Tricks LP, Standing on the Edge, which peaked at number 35 on Billboard's Hot 100 LP chart in 1985, saw the band return to their standard hard-rocking sound with this album. The album was produced by Jack Douglas, who produced the band's first album, as well as Found All the Parts EP. The original plans for the album called for the band to return to the rough sound of their first album. However, Douglas backed out of the mixing due to legal issues that he was having with Yoko Ono, of all people. See, the Beatle connection rears its head again. Mixer Tony Platt was called in, and as a result, the album's production featured keyboards and electronic drums more prominently than the band and Douglas had had intended. As a matter of fact, uh, Bunny Carlos insists on being credited with acoustic drums because mixer Tony Platt added the electronic drums that were used on much of the album during the post-production. Very strange, very strange. Matt, what do you think of Little Sister? You know, I, I hate to be kind of uh, you know opposite on that. I don't like the production. I think it's too busy. I think I don't like all the keyboards. I think on this song specifically, there's not nearly enough guitar. You know, it's... Um, and really, any song where uh, you know you're looking at your sister and thinking she's so hot and she fills you with desire, I don't know. It's a uh, little, Are you, you know, Rick, ne- ne- Rick, Rick Nielsen certainly had that uh, creepy science teacher thing going, but that's a little <laughs> creepy. Well, little sisters always seem to get a, a bad rap in rock and roll. I mean, you got uh, Elvis's little sister, "Don't Do What Your Big Sister Does," and uh, the monkeys. Well, Elton John you know. song, your little yours. Sister can't twist, but she can rock and roll. It's exactly, the same thing. exactly. And uh, the monkeys even did it with "She Hangs Out" about your mm-hmm. little sister down on the street corner. Wow, that's so. Little sisters tend to get a bad rap. I wonder if Cheap Trick ever looked at Poison and went, "You sons of you know," because I like it when you talk, talk dirty to me. You know, <laughs> they're just a little ahead of the curve there. <laughs> and it's it's also a throwback to "She's Tight," you know, uh, mm-hmm. lyrically, right? 
Right. But, uh, yeah. BJ, what do you think of Little Sister? Um, I think Little Sister's a great song, great writing, uh, except for the lyrics. I agree with Matt. It's a little bit weird. but um, And I also agree with Matt about the production. I think this song, especially some of the songs in the album, there's like too many cooks in the kitchen kind of thing going on, you know? And I think especially on this song, yeah, like Matt said, more guitars would be nice. It's an awesome song, but I'd like to hear it produced more like one-on-one or something than... Right. Right. It, I think it's more, it's not the production, though. I think it's really the mix that's the real problem. I would And there's just not that. enough guitars in the mix and just, and you know, one thing that drives me nuts is the, the ooh little sister part in the chorus, you know? Yeah. That's like the highest thing in the mix. And to me, that sounds like the part that Rick should be singing by himself and kind of buried in the mix, you know? Yeah. But, and it's just like this overbearing thing with like a hundred vocal tracks and I don't know. But it's an awesome song. I think it's a great melody. Well, I remember when I got this vinyl album, I remember putting on, and the production, it seemed like it almost had, like, a sound. Like, do you guys remember when you'd, like, get a cassette back in the day? And, like, there would be these cassettes that would, like, always mess up your cassette heads. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? (laughs) And Mm -hmm. this one always sounded like that to me. And I, I kept waiting and hoping that someday that A, we'd see the original, like Jack Douglas would return to this and uh, do it without the uh, synth drums or whatever. The, uh, you know, basically. Yeah, the drums, that. the drums on this song are really, they're a problem for me. But, you know, I don't really notice them, I guess, when I just put it on. But when I was kind of listening to it critically, the drums are pretty awful. The, the sound of the drums and just the kind of basic beat that's going on i don't know well when you have someone like benny bunny carlos in the band why do you need to enhance that you know what i'm saying it's not like he was drunk off his ass or anything i'm sure he was able to deliver everything he needed right then and there so that was very strange you know one thing you're talking about with the vinyl having on vinyl one thing if you only have it on cd you would miss this but on the inside of the vinyl i'm sure all of you are looking at your vinyl on the inside sleeve there's a the group picture rick is flipping the copy of the first cheap trick album and john mm-hmm. brant's face is taped over tom peterson's face <laughs> on the uh you know on the record and so like right away you go okay so maybe they weren't uh in the best mood at this time i don't know well you kind of don't promote the old if you're trying to promote the new at the same time right right uh tommy what do you think of it as an album opener um, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with it. I guess also, too, I probably differ from you guys with from a taste standpoint. I'm not a fan of the first three records. Okay. All right. I love the songs, but I have the same problem with the first three Cheap Trick records that I do with the first three Kiss albums. Ah, I love the songs, but I love the live versions. So the other piece of this for me is, is that the first time I saw Cheap Trick do anything off of this record the record hadn't come out yet and they played a summer festival here in the minneapolis area and they must have played at least half of these songs wow and when they're playing them live they were just incredibly fresh mm-hmm. so I, I i don't argue with the point of the slicker production but it still got a lot more body to it to me than say you know i don't know crazy crazy nights which to me is absolutely it's unlistenable so you know, I'm not as tied to that part of it. I just like the song, you know. Or kind of the doctor, in a sense. Yeah. Kind of really slick production, but 
it doesn't really go anywhere yeah and I, I'm just like for me it's like either I like the song or I don't I, I'm not you know I, I'm not a musician so I from the technical standpoint I don't really you know either I like it or I don't and and I think maybe that this was a little slicker production simply because they were trying to reach out to a broader audience of that MTV generation um, is all I can figure well it's interesting that you mentioned that because you know, in, in, in what I read earlier, uh, Jack Douglas was brought back so that they could capture the first album again. But then, whoever mixed it, Tony Platt, you it's really an MTV at the time kind of mix. Does that make sense to anyone, what I'm saying? Absolutely, yeah. So it's kind of bizarre that somebody had the intention of doing it one way, but then control was taken away. And this is what wound up happening. So well, and I and I can tell you from experience that Jack typically will come in and he'll produce the record, and then he will sit down with the band or members of the band and they'll mix it together and then they'll collectively decide on the person who's going to master it. And my understanding of the situation is the mastering process is really where they tweak it after they're done mixing it. So there could be a huge difference even between those two um, particular things that happen with the record. So it, it could be a number of reasons why it ended up the way it did. I wonder how the band uh, received it when they first heard it. Well, we know how Bunny received it. <laughs> Tell us about that. Well, you know, he insisted that he be credited with acoustic drums. There's a quote from the book where he said, I didn't want to be held responsible for the booms and that garbage they put in there. <laughs> mm. So I don't think he was happy with, you know, the uh, mix probably more than anything. Because I think Tony Platt is responsible for what Bunny doesn't like. Mm. But you mentioned, Ken, that lawsuit with Yoko Ono that Jack Douglas was in. Yes. And I think, I believe that was because she was trying not to pay him for producing Double Fantasy. Ah. Because she said he didn't do anything on that no. album. or so, And so I guess, I know Rick says in the book that during, while they were making this album, Jack Douglas won that lawsuit and got $8 million. And at Holy that point he was crap. kind of distracted. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's basically, Rick basically says that you know, Jack Douglas was just distracted the whole time, really. Well, guys, let's be honest. If you get $8 million, are you going to, like, show up for work the next day right, right at night? <laughs> I don't think so. It's <laughs> called uh, Little Sister.
Right. Well, sadly, I don't think the album's big enough that we'll get like the you know, 40th anniversary remix with this, that, and the other thing. You know, no, the, it was the, out of print completely for yeah, years. The, the the kitchen sink remix where they give us everything. But yeah. then again, the monkeys uh, have everything released in multiple formats, so who knows? Maybe. Well, something. thanks to Rhino. Yeah, thanks to Rhino. Sadly, Rhino's not got a hold of Cheap Trick. Imagine what they could unearth. Oh yeah. Oh, it just hurts me thinking that that might not ever happen. Anyway, so let's move on to the next track and probably the most famous song from this album, Tonight It's You. This is one of my personal favorites. BJ, what do you think of Tonight It's You? Yeah, of course. It's brilliant. Amazing song. I mean, I mean, I mentioned this song on the Lap of Luxury episode talking about how, how could this song not have been a hit and then The Flame is the song that was the hit, you know? And people complaining about that they recorded the flame at all well if you look back you know rick did his best to have a hit ballad and it just didn't happen with his songs so he tried and this is a perfect example i mean how is this song not a huge hit it just it's crazy i can, i think i have an answer okay um i think it's because the record label just simply wasn't behind them at the time and yeah, it seemed yeah. like there was that renewed interest in 87 with lap of luxury when peterson came back that the label got behind him and gave it a push yeah, because i agree this one should have been as big if not bigger than the flame yeah but then again i always like the quirky stuff so i'm probably wrong well what do you think about it tommy Give us your oh thoughts. i love it it's wonderful it's actually i think one of the best songs on the record it's and like you know like you guys were saying it should have been a number one hit uh, Matt, what do you think about it? You know, yeah, absolutely. Whoever picked it as a single, it's a, it's probably the best song on the album. Um, and it's funny how earlier we were talking about, you know, Kiss fans loving Cheap Trick. And I have uh, one of my tapes that Paul Stanley, when he hosted the Headbangers Ball, this video was on right before that episode of Headbangers Ball started. So it's on my tape. So I would watch it over and over and over because I would watch that Headbangers Ball over and over and over. And uh, it, it might have been heavy metal. No, it was Headbangers Ball. I can't remember if it was Heavy Metal Mania or whatever. But the, uh, you know, but yeah, I mean, the video is great. Even, you know, you're seeing them trying to figure out in 1985 or whatever how Cheap Trick is going to translate into being an MTV band. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's like they still had all the characters, you know, which again is another reason I think that, you know, what one of the things that makes Cheap Trick so unique, you did kind of know everybody was different in the band. And I, I always was surprised that they didn't translate even more into MTV because of the fact that they were so distinctly different with their image. And this song really, for me, I think it's one of the things I've always said is I love the way Robin says certain words. And like when he says, you know, and time, like just the way he rolls those letters, time yeah. won't lose. I don't know. Is it an accent? Is it a Chicago thing? I don't even know. But the uh, there's a certain sound to it. It's just great. I absolutely agree. Robin is just amazing. What you do? 
Uh, it says that there were two video clips made for this. Two, it says uh, two promotional music videos were made for the song, and both clips received much airplay on MTV. I really don't remember seeing another one. No, neither do I. I just, yeah, I just know the one. Very is there a, is there a longer one? I don't, I don't. I mean, it's obviously it's a different mix. There's an edit in the version of the video. It's shorter. That middle part's a little shorter. Maybe there's well, then, a longer well, then version. Well, that must of it. be it. That would make yeah, some sense maybe. because there there I've are there seen it, times I think I've noticed it being longer than others. But right, I, I think this is a beautiful, lush song, and of course it has that little bit of uh, Rick Nielsen's eccentric weirdness, just enough. Uh, to throw things off because uh, don't stop dreaming with your eyes and things like that. I, th I think that a lot of people disconnect like uh, like Voices, another amazing song that should have been like a, a number one song as far as I'm concerned. Uh, there's some weird things going on there, you know, where he's like the, the Voices uh, chorus that kind of goes on, you know, warm voices don't seem right, things like that. So you've got this love song with one intention, and then Rick throws this quirky curveball in it, and it's something that, like, I know BJ, you absolutely love, and I think we all do, but had he maybe made this one a little less eccentric, do you think that it would have helped, or or what? What, what do you think was the problem that it didn't uh, get into the top five or whatever? I don't know. <laughs> that well, is I think just like, confusing for me. Like what Tom said, though, I think the record company probably, you know, they weren't pushing it. You know, where did you really hear it? I mean, was radio supporting Cheap Trick at the time? I mean, that's like anything. You know, especially at that time, think about where things were at. MTV was pushing out minting you know gold records for bands you had to be a certain you know you had to be in their playlist that's what was happening and i think if the record company i don't know i mean at the time i remember buying it on vinyl but i mean it wasn't like there was a whole lot of buzz if you kind of weren't into it i don't know that people were going oh did you hear the new cheap trick album you know right. just, i don't know well and i think most bands with the exception of maybe a few like say acdc who have never changed a thing they've got a formula and it works and they're smart and they give the fans what they want but with cheap trick so many other bands from the 70s were just lost i mean think about it 1984 1985 the wheels had completely come off of aerosmith they were done right. and you've got kiss chasing bon jovi and then you've got all these other metal acts getting signed you know, after the Quiet Riot thing and Cheap Trick, I think, just fell through the cracks because right. they, their quirky, you know, shtick in the 70s worked because it was different. But then it, it kind of played itself out by the early 80s, I think. And I don't know the uh, history the way a lot of you guys do, um, but I really think that something happened at, all shook up when they went it when they went into all of that legal crap that seriously derailed the band I, I i think that had they pushed that record more there might have been a completely different outcome for them with one-on-one -on -one and next position please and then this record because all three of those records in my opinion uh, well and also all shook up had just fantastic songs on them absolutely that people are just like wow you know you play them for them and they're like this is really good who is this mm -hmm. Well, BJ, you, you had said that they were teed up to have a major hit after Dream Police, correct? Like like they had it all teed up. Yeah, it sure seems that way. And then, boom. Yeah. I mean, there were no, there were no I think videos All Shook Up just for... wasn't the album to take them over the top, you know? Yeah, and, and there were no videos off All Shook Up, which I still find 
to be incredibly strange. Not one video. It just seems bizarre. But yeah, Tommy's right. After after that period, they had they always had a problematic relationship with the record label. Right. And I mean, yeah, we're talking about why wasn't Tonight It's You a hit? Well, you could go back and say why wasn't If You Want My Love a hit? And then you know, then that could have set the course for you know why wasn't I Can't Take It hit? They all should have been hits. So <laughs> right. I think the label buried them. I really do. Because there's yeah, no they, other excuse. And then the label just decided to push Lap of Luxury. I guess because the band finally gave in and cooperated and did what the label wanted. Well, and the labels Sad. don't give a shit. They just want to make money. Right. Yeah. And so they wanted to try to capitalize on the idea that Peterson came back. Right. Yeah. And I, I also had said at some point, I think they, Cheap Trick were kind of set up by the Top Gun soundtrack. They were kind of, that kind of was a big you know, publicity thing. They were kind of more in the public eye just because that record was so huge and they were on it. That also kind of set them up to maybe have a little more attention well, once their next record came out. I can remember watching uh, MTV or Friday Night Videos or whatever with people and a Cheap Trick video would come on and people would say, well, why is this guy smoking and why does he look like this and why is that guy got the ball cap on and why, <laughs> you know, it was like a... Were you around at all in 1978? You know, you just wanted to slap people. It's like, that would be like saying, well, why is Alice Cooper, is he a guy or a girl? Do you really need to know the answer to that question? You, you why is that guy say, sticking his tongue out? Right. Why is he blowing fire? I mean, to me, if. Now, I know that there's some Journey fan out there who's going to be upset about the next thing I'm going to say. But if Journey can do, like, successful MTV videos, anybody can, because a lot of those guys were not like. Jonathan really? Cain playing playing the air keyboards. Oh yeah, there that's a go. great video. <laughs> that's the greatest video ever. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, just they they they, they weren't all uh, sixteen magazine poster guys, is what I'm saying. Yeah. So, right. uh, well, know. and the like I said, the quirkiness had kind of run its course, I think. Yeah. And the, it and I I think once you got into the mid '80s, everything shifted so dramatically. You know, I mean, Guns N' Roses changed everything. But before them, um, Poison, whom I don't really like, um, that video, Talk Dirty to Me, changed everything. Yeah. And that was around the same time period. And then all of a sudden you had all the L.A. hair metal bands coming out. And I think Cheap Trick just kind of got pushed aside. And but, it's, and then the, all, but also... Know, Every one of those bands that was big in the 80s worshipped Cheap Trick. Yeah, and, and, know, and it, it would be weird because Cheap Trick would open up for these other bands, and it would be very But you strange. know, Cheap Trick didn't do themselves any favors at all in that period. They do not understand the audiences sometimes, and it pisses me off because you'd go see them, say, like, open for Motley Crue, yeah. and they'd give you an eight-minute version of heaven tonight and it's just like you fuckers you should never play that song again if you want everyone to go to the bathroom great play it you've got all these wonderful pop hits or these songs that are the first time you hear them you're like wow this is amazing and they don't play any of them no we're going to give them heaven tonight right it's like and i i looked around the arena and everyone's just like yawning and i don't understand why they think that song live works because it just doesn't well i could see it working in certain audiences but let's put it this way when you're playing for opening up for motley crew you got to hit them with some things that are a little more hard you know what i mean Mm -hmm. 
kind and, of play and just to the audience. Up tempo, like how about you? That's a perfect song. They should be doing that. They should do uh, "Baby Loves to Rock." They should be doing stiff you know, competition. Yeah, standing on the edge. Cover girls, another great. I mean, you know, we the list goes on and on and on. So I think that they also kind of shot themselves in the foot, as well. Makes a lot of sense. What'd you guys think of the video for tonight? It's you. It's cool. Yeah, it was fine. Yeah. Tommy. Okay. Haven't uh, seen it in a long time, but. Well, it's where there's a boxing match going on and. The woman is kind of, you know, her husband or boyfriend only cares about the sporting event, and she's basically in the corner. She's well, she's got her headphones on, and while he's watching boxing, which is actually happening in the room, uh, yeah, yeah. she slips on the headphone, and Cheap Trick appears like in the boxing ring, kind of. Mm-hmm. And so while he's uh, watching two people beat the hell out of one another, she's hanging with the band. So very strange video, but kind of cool. It, it hey. It was the 80s. Right. That kind of sums up every 80s video. You can just say, <laughs> it was the 80s. At least, at least Robin didn't turn into a werewolf. <laughs> or a duck. That was yet to come. Yeah. A duck was yet to come. Yeah, Rick. at um, least Rick wasn't in the bathtub in his bathrobe. Okay, She's Got Motion. She's got motion. Tommy, take it away. I, you know, it, it's another relatively solid song. Um, you know, and I, I, I should preface this by saying the reason that um, this is one of my favorite records is there's, you know, four or five songs on here that I absolutely love. So when I say I love an album, it's not because I love every single right, one. Songs you know? have their strengths. Yeah. And some yeah. And so it's, you know, this is one where I would say the production's over the top. It's not as far as out as something like I Won't Be Man, but it's it's yeah. it's not what we've come to expect for the most part. On the other hand, uh, we have a little saying around here, who else does this but Cheap Trick? True. Right, BJ? Yeah. Well, what are your thoughts, <laughs> BJ? On I don't Cheap know if that applies to this song. Okay. And, and, okay, if it does or does not, why doesn't it? Explain. Hmm. Well, I don't know. I, I really like nothing about this song, personally. <laughs> I don't have a problem with this kind of a song. I'm not that kind of, you know. It, I just don't think there's a good melody here, and I don't know. And it doesn't sound like a cheap trick song to me. But yeah, I don't like it at all. Matt? This is definitely my least favorite song on the record. Oh, and wow. uh, it's a drum loop. Bunny described in the book that he didn't even play it. He said Jack Douglas played it or somebody. Just played like I don't know how long, and then they just looped it. So. To me, the only part of the song that really intrigues me is the one part where it musically goes dong, 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 dong. You know, you guys know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. The rest of it just kind of, it's just there. Matt, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's way too much keyboards. I mean, to me, it's funny we talk about music videos, but this should have been on like an episode of Miami Vice. You know, the music would start, you cut to a close-up of some wheels spinning out, quick. Crack it in tubs, like I don't know, just kind of terrible, but you know. Yeah, and it sounds like there's someone like heard yes doing "Owner of a Lonely Heart," which I don't even know was out at this point. But those uh, keyboard mm-hmm. parts, right? I think that speaks to the the climate. And you know, again, I, I, they had no one to follow, and and sometimes I don't think they realize how good they are. Mm-hmm. So they start reaching to try to fit in somewhere. Right. Absolutely. Well, you got to think that. The only reason they did this song was to try to have 
something relevant or some kind of a hit in that in the musical climate but then this was never even going to be a single so i don't i mean did they do it to try to have a single and then it didn't work out i don't know but yeah i don't know what the motivation was behind this song unless it was just you know to have something that sounded like what was on the radio at the time or i don't know or maybe not to have an album that was 33 minutes and 49 yeah. seconds <laughs> it just doesn't have a hook at no, all no it doesn't right it, right. it, it's it's a guilty of just laying there. Yeah. A lot of energy, but it's still just laying there. It doesn't have motion. <laughs> right, yeah, the song doesn't have motion. Very good. Uh, there are eight co-writes. Now, how do you say this guy's name, BJ? Oh, oh yeah, we haven't talked about it. I don't know if it's Mark Radice, Mark Radici. Yeah, he co-wrote eight of the ten you songs. You say Radici, and, uh, I he say played Radacci. keyboards. It says in the book that he played keyboards on nine of the ten songs. So I was thinking we try to figure out which song he didn't play keyboards on. But uh, right. yeah, he, um, you know, there's a bunch of his stuff on CD, baby. I think that you can you can listen to, and he had an album that, in 1970 that's actually a pretty cool record. And I found a single of his from like '68 that's on YouTube. That's a really good song, but none of his stuff sounds anything like Cheap Trick. So, you know, I think he's just kind of a song doctor brought into maybe you know, put a hook in a song or help with a bridge or something like that. I don't know. Well, and I wonder, too, if, the, you know, when you write that much music, if you just get writer's block and sometimes you just need to write with other people to get some inspiration, you know, and maybe they got along really well and that's how he ends up on so many of the songs. He claims... And he's probably the record label's idea, I would guess. I would imagine. He he also claims that the majority of Tonight at You was written by himself and bassist John Brandt. Yeah, he there's quotes from him in the book where he seems to be trying to take a lot of credit for the songwriting on the record. But if you listen to his other songs he wrote, I don't hear a lot. And when you listen to Standing on the Edge, it sounds a lot like Rick Nielsen wrote the songs. So, I yeah. don't know. <laughs> I don't really buy that he had as much to do with it as he claims, but, you know, who knows. Well, here's a song that I'm surprised wasn't a single. Uh, I think it would have done better than Little Sister or How About You. Love Comes, and it was written by Robin Zander and Rick Nielsen. And the song uh, Love Comes is so well liked by Robin that he actually re-recorded it for his solo album Countryside Boulevard, which has uh, not really been released uh, like it should have been it was released uh, in 2010 but it was pulled back uh you could yeah, i think they accidentally released it for yeah. a couple of days or something and then someone said do you, you guys realize someone's buying that yeah and they pulled it so uh kind of have you guys heard it yes yeah. yeah okay yeah i okay i was just listening to it the other day love comes round just in time Something that's hard to find No one knows what I've been going through Same old song, how does it go? Oh, it knows Well, love comes down In 
time to rest. This one, I think, because we have an alternate version to listen to, I think it really points out the production differences in what maybe we would, that I, for myself anyway, would rather have out of a Cheap Trick album. Because on the version that's on this record, you have that kind of Casio keyboard kind of thing going in the background. I like Robin's Countryside Boulevard version much more because it's much more stripped down. And to me, that's more of what I would want out of Cheap Trick. I don't like all the extra production. Don't put in keyboards, especially those kind of, you know, uh, science fiction-y, wow, wow, wow. You know, it's like give us straight kind of rock. And, uh, you know, that's I think this is one, because we have alternate versions to listen to, really points out some of the things maybe that, for me anyway, what I don't like about the album. But. Well, when well you I, think would, of- I would guess that Robin probably looked at this song and said, that didn't work that song could be better it could have been done better i'm gonna do it better Absolutely. you know as opposed to saying that's a great song i'm gonna put it on my record it's probably more of a that could be because to me the song kind of seems unfinished or like you know not fully realized there's a great chorus and there's a lot of potential but you know yeah like the verse the the verse is just kind of it could be tweaked or something the whole song could have just been maybe put together better so maybe that's what robin was trying to do what do you guys think that how this would have done as a single it had a lot of potential it's a it's another ballad rick nielsen wrote that's a lot better than the flame but you know could have made a good video too i think it i think it would have done much better than little sister and how about you for sure Tom. yeah i i think it would doesn't matter what they would have put out at that point i i think they're going to struggle no matter what because yeah. of the record climate at the time right but those well, videos... They could have done a lot of slow motion paint throwing, and that would have been a go. great video. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but Only... this song really should have been beefed up, and I don't know. It, it's not done right on the, on the record, in my opinion. Well, it's definitely got... To me, this is a Cheap Trick song. Even, even despite the production or whatever. There's that beautiful lushness and, and the, the the things that Rick and Robin bring to a song. So I really, and it sounds really it sounds like a hit song, it especially does the to chorus. Me. You it know, does to me. Well, let's go on to the next track. How about you?
Tommy? I'd say this is probably my favorite song on the record. Really? Mm-hmm. Tell us why. I, you know, I, I don't know why. I, I just think it's catchy. It works great live. And I don't know. I, I really don't know. I just love it. Very cool. Well, you can't always explain why you like a color. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, yeah, exactly. I'm just not sure why, but it just it's the first one I play kind of like um, uh, I love Just Got Back on, you know, all, all shook, shook up, up, and I don't. Yeah. I can't tell you exactly why. I just love it. Well, let me ask you this: How do you think this would have worked for an album opener? I always thought it was odd that it was the last song on side one. Me too. It 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 just you seems know? very strange. It's it almost seems like back in the seventies, the bands put the strongest tracks, are the ones they thought were the strongest tracks at the beginning of the record. Mm-hmm. You know, and the the side two or at the end of side one seems to be like, okay, well, we'll fill it in here. So that always seemed odd to me, but I don't know if I would necessarily open with it. I would have opened with standing on the edge simply because that's the name of the record. That works for me as well. I, I guess what I'm getting at is I don't really care for little sister all that much. So if you guys were to pick another song as an opener, uh, Tommy just suggested standing on the edge. What do you guys think, Matt and BJ? This is one of the better songs in the album, and the way that the they have that harmonica yeah, kind of trading the off the guitar really licks. Cool. And I guess again, it's it's the thing I kind of keep saying it over and over, but it sounds more real. It's it's not like I'm not a fan of all the keyboards and all the extra stuff. So when you have somebody trading off on a harmonica, you can't get kind of more real than that. And I think uh, also that's kind of what's missing from a lot of these songs are those little Rick kind of fill in licks. A lot of the songs, they don't have it. This one has it. And I think, yeah, this would have been a much better opener to the album. I love this song. Probably one of my favorite cheap trick songs, period. Um, I love this kind of bouncy, upbeat song with tons of hooks. It's just a great song. I would be fine with this one opening album, but I love Little Sister. But think about if Little Sister was mixed more like How About You. I think Little Sister's an awesome song. It's just, I think the real problem is the mix more than anything. But How About You's amazing, yeah. It's it's probably my favorite song in the record. I mean, this one and Standing on the Edge, I both probably like both about the same, but I think it's an amazing song. All right, it's time to flip the album over. Everybody get ready, hold on tight. It's kind of like on the Star Trek show where the everybody wiggles in their seats for a while, so here we go. <laughs> okay, side two, standing on the edge. What was that? <laughs> oh, do it again. <laughs> awesome, love it, love it, love it. Okay, stand, standing. <laughs> of course you do. BJ, <laughs> standing on the edge. What do you think of it? Amazing, brilliant, and you know, there's a lot of production issues on the record, but I think this song is produced perfectly. I love the production on it. I love the shifts in the song, like when the bridge goes into just the piano, mm-hmm. the, the piano-driven part. Yeah. All the melodies in the song are amazing. The only complaint I would have would be the lyrics. When you're gonna have a song that's this epic and this great, just a great song. I wish there could be lyrics that you could take more seriously. Yeah, you know? the part all day sucker, Connie might. Well, it seems like it's an fight. ode it's to like, a groupie. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to take a song that's this epic and brilliant and turn it into an ode to a groupie. It's just kind of sad to me. The chorus is just like transcendent. Just, I don't know, it's such a great song. I, I think agree. it's amazing. 
just better lyrics, please. <laughs> it would be like listening to Stairway to Heaven, and then it goes, but she gives really good head. Yeah, well, exactly. Like, what the hell? I mean, Where'd that come this from? Is, Not a bad me, job description. <laughs> Tell me what do to you me think? The, to me, oh, there's God. not much better songwriting than this song, except for the lyrics. So just you know, yeah, I mean, all day sucker, <laughs> yeah. please, you know, just hey. something that. Hey but now. you know, the, I mean, <laughs> that doesn't really detract from my enjoyment of the song. But you know, just because it's such a great song, you wish that it had better lyrics. That's yeah, all. and and you you kind of took my thoughts where you said it was epic sounding it this really does seem like a much bigger song than the subject matter of it tommy what do you think um i like the song but i find myself fast forwarding at the very end i think it drags out too much at the very end standing on the edge standing on the edge like that sort of thing yeah, and then they get into the keyboard thing. I, I so I always just go click and go on to the next song. Once I get to the last, it just drags on too much for me. But it's a good well, I'm song. Definitely, I'm definitely guilty of clicking before the song ends. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's just. It's <laughs> well, like I mean, not, necessarily, not specifically this song, but I know what you mean. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. It's like 30 seconds shorter would be great. Just, there's just a little too much on the end. But I, I, I guess I'm okay. I get what you're saying about the lyrics. I had never really thought about it. I just, again, love the melody. I think it's a wonderful song. Mm-hmm. And Connie, give us a call. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're not gonna be you're not gonna be a Kiss fan if you're gonna focus on lyrics, right? So, I mean, right. the lyrics go. don't take away from the song for me. I'm just saying that it's so brilliant. That, yeah, but you know, if you were if you were playing it for a non-cheap trick fan, then you would probably be embarrassed by the lyrics, you know? You would. Filthy lyrics. Great. Yeah. 
So, up our next song is co-written with John Brandt, making a writing appearance here, and uh, Mr. Raddus, and Robin Zander and Rick Nielsen with This Time Around. This sounds almost like a soundtrack kind of song. Tommy, what are your thoughts on this time around? Um, it's to me, this is kind of a throwaway track. I, I usually will skip past this one to get to rock all night. Matt, yeah, not a great song. I mean, obviously, Robin's voice shines, and it's, Robin's voice is the strongest part of the song. But it's yeah. but it's not like you know one where you go like, oh, this is the greatest song. So I mean, it's good though, but not not a standout track. Bj. I love this song. It's a standout track. <laughs> yeah, I love it. There's an interesting story where Rick says, um, Rick sort of implies that he thinks you two were influenced by this song when they wrote With or Without You. But <laughs> and he says they were in the studio at the same time, but, you know, Joshua Tree was recorded like two years later after they recorded this. So Very strange. And I think With or Without You is influenced more by Eno probably than anything. But, I would um, imagine. I love this song. I think it's awesome. There's the three songs in a row here that are just awesome in my opinion i really enjoy this track myself so bj and i are on one side of it and tommy and matt are on the other and uh sometimes it goes like that so, but and would you would more, you say no, this song's good, a ballad yes i would say this song's a ballad so chalk up another rick nielsen written ballad that's better than the flame <laughs> but well <laughs> there's a lot of them <laughs> well the, the the thing that would stop this song from almost being a ballad and you'd have to like remove is the part uh you know the temperature is rising you know it's never going to stop you'd almost have to take that out if you're going to try to make this a serious uh 45 name at the public you know what i'm saying yeah and it, I think it, this it is another song that changes the momentum of the song. Yeah. And this is another song that's great production. I think it's really well produced. I, I really like the mix. I think, you know, except for maybe the drum sound. Um, that, that's kind of the whole initial on the whole album. But um, I'm telling you, this could have been on the cocktail soundtrack and been a hit. I don't know. This might be another instance of it's just too good to be a hit. Uh, it seems like that's just how it works sometimes. Matt and Tommy are looking at us right now thinking, what are these guys talking about? <laughs> no, actually not, because that's the whole thing. It's subjective. It's right, what right, it, right. It's the song and hits you in a certain way. Mm-hmm. You know, I, We were having this discussion last night. I was out with some friends, and we were talking about all these different bands. And I said, you know, really, I know I, I must like at least one song by almost every band. Mm-hmm. You know that you find you can find at least one thing to appreciate. So, you know that's the thing. Like with our three sides, is we want everyone to give their opinions, and and we also say too, you have to be respectful of that other person's opinion, mm-hmm. because they're not wrong. It's just how they see it. Well, you know, it's weird. It all music is also you know like we mentioned. I referred to it as like trying to describe why you like a color. Sometimes right. it's difficult, but it's also is tied into where you were at, maybe at the time you heard it. Like for example, I'm going to make everybody groan right now, but I was a bouncer slash DJ at the time that <laughs> Macarena and Barbie Girl were hits. Yeah, and Ugh. I saw enough fine ladies dancing to those songs and a lot of good experiences with those tracks that when those songs come on it always makes me feel good as horrible as i know that they are but, <laughs> but you know the thing is is that, they, that both of those songs have a hook oh absolutely there's melody there i think the thing for me that was 
missing for I don't know maybe even a decade was in pop music everything went just so hardcore rap and that's not music to me that's just talking and I've got a 13 year old daughter now that listens to KDWB which is like the pop station here in Minneapolis and some of the songs that that they've got on are really good you know it's just a stripped down version of things because we went and saw this band last night when we were talking about this music they're a local band called Arena and they played Lady Gaga and some of this other stuff, but they meddled it up. Oh, wow. And it was awesome. I mean, it was really, really good. And that's the only difference between, you know, Motley Crue and some of the pop songs is is the production and the lack of guitars. Right. And and attitude sometimes. And it, oh, absolutely. But, you know, I mean, I, I don't begrudge you for liking any of that stuff. I think there are some really good Lady Gaga songs, actually. I mean, I like yeah. a well-written song. Yeah, right. and I don't care I who it's by. I, like, for example, um, people that are listening, oh, what happened to the cheap trick talk? But um, I, <laughs> think, I think one of the best songs that came out this year was Wrecking Ball. As a as a as a single, the words to that song are amazing. I don't give a crap who sang it. I think it's a good song. And right, right. You know, the, I have a prob- lot of pro- I have a lot of problems with a lot of the way that kind of stuff is produced. And right. I can't listen to anything with auto tune. Right, auto tune right, right. is just a deal breaker for me. I hate it. Well, well, you know, there's that um, Lady Gaga cheap trick mashup standing on the edge of glory, but, uh, you know, hey. <laughs> uh-huh. And Matt brings it full circle. And we, <laughs> we, we could start a, a Lady Gaga podcast, Radio Gaga or something. Oh, my God. <laughs> good one, good one. Well, let's go to track eight, Rock All Night. Take this one. Yeah, it's a good solid song. Um, I don't skip past it mm-hmm. per se, but it's not in my top five on the record. Okay. It just kind of it wanders and drags. Right, uh, Matt. I, I kind of think it's a pretty generic kind of song. It sounds like them trying to chase Def Leppard in Arena Rock or something. I don't know. I just I skip over this. I just it doesn't. It it seems like they're trying too hard to be something that they're not. Maybe on this song, just to me anyway. Well, it's weird because there's like a couple pauses in the song, and you you do hear things like that you heard like off Pyromania and other things that sounds right. like they're almost referencing some of those things, which I doubt they were, but uh, you know, in in retrospect, maybe they are. I don't know. But uh, BJ, your thoughts? Yeah, it's uh, probably it's one of my least favorite songs in the album. It's not a terrible song. It's yeah, like I, I agree with Matt. It's generic and trying to be something else. Rick described it as Cheap Tricks tribute to Spinal Tap. <laughs> <laughs> and um, also, we should Ooh. note that this song is kind of a rewrite of Get Ready, which was the B side of the Spring Break single. Ah, um, mm. that song. It doesn't have the Rock All Night part, but a lot of elements of this song are taken from that. So I, I think that Rock All Night would have been a good song to end side two with myself. But uh, yeah, I'm one of those guys that every once in a while will remix things up and see if I can make a perfect album out of something. <laughs> I try. I try so hard. Um, the next track is Cover Girl. She's a cover girl. She's a- I 
Which has a pretty cool riff. BJ, take this one. Yeah, this is a really good song. Um, it's not, uh, you know, it's not as good as How About You or Standing on the Edge, but I like it. Maybe a different chorus. I don't I don't know about the cover girl theme, but um, yeah, I like it. Yeah. And Definitely I, better than Rock All Night. Right, and again, right. Rick's, Rick's a little naughty here. I saw her again on page 69 and all that stuff. And, uh, <laughs> not as good as Jay Giles' Centerfold, but hey, what are you going to do? Tommy, oh, not nearly as good, right. Tommy, your thoughts? Uh, I would say it's my second favorite song on the record. Okay, now what makes this uh, so good? Again, I don't know if I can put it into words for you, Ken. I just, again, for me, it's just the flow of the song, the hook. It's Let me put it this way. When I put a cheap trick mix together that I'm going to listen to, the two songs that always end up on that mix from this record is Cover Girl and How About You. Wow, that's pretty That's cool. how much I like it. Wow. Okay, Matt, uh, you have to pick two songs. What are they? Well, you know, I think it's funny this side, too, kind of sets up a theme because you have Standing on the Edge, which, like we said earlier, was probably about a groupie. Mm. Cover Girl basically says, uh, you know... uh, it's uh, this, you're going shopping not for uh, clothes, but looking at the models in the catalog and then calling them up. And uh, it answers that question: Why do rock stars date supermodels? Because they can. And and, uh, and then you go right into Wild Wild Women. Yeah. Where would we would we be without them? So That's it's right. uh, you got that theme on this whole side of the album. Now we uh, go to the album's closer: Wild Wild Women. You know, wild, wild women, they make your uh, rockin' world go round, and the fat bottom <laughs> girls, and hey, where would we be without them? So it's, uh, I like it. It's a good song, and we got a good amount of cowbell, and it's a big arena kind of riff, and, uh, you know, kind of sums up uh, why you put that guitar on in the first place. Yeah. If the fire's too hot, get out of the kitchen. You got it. <laughs> BJ? <laughs> BJ, what do you think? Well, this song holds the distinction of being Rick Nielsen's least favorite on the album. Really? Yeah, that's what he says. And Mike Hayes quotes him in the book as saying that. I would disagree. She's Got Motion is definitely the worst song in the record. But um, Well, if you and Rick want to fight that out, we'll uh, do a pay-per-view. With well, it, but... Wild Wild Women is in uh, heated competition with Rock All Night to be the second worst <laughs> song on the album. So. Okay. <laughs> It has its moments. It has good moments like Rock All Night, but it also has, I think the verse is pretty generic and not that great. The chorus is a lot better than the verse. Um, yeah, it's, it's not great, but it's not terrible either. Well, there's four people that wrote this. Rick, Robin, uh, Mr. Rattus, and Bunny gets a co-write on this. So Very cool. Tommy, what are your thoughts on the closer, Wild Wild Women? I guess I would agree with you guys. I wouldn't say it's the second worst song on the record. It's kind of one of those that, again, it's kind of generic but i wonder if they would play this one live which isn't necessarily something i'd want to hear if it would connect with people like this would be one that maybe they should have done when they're opening for someone like motley Crue, just simply because the drunk people will relate to it yeah absolutely <laughs> you know you always gotta uh, try Woo. to hit the ball into the stand sometimes so well you know i just that like i said that's the thing that i i wonder you just never know what's gonna connect with people and what's not and and to me i always seem like 
I, f- I feel like the, the dumb cheap trick fan because I always like this stuff that so many of the other cheap trick fans don't really care for. You know, like I, I would love to hear them do um, Up the Creek again. Me live too. Regularly, Listen, we all would love. to oh, yeah. hear that. Oh, okay. I all of us here. Because I yell it at them when I'm in the front row, and they look at me like I'm mental. Matt, tell your story. I'd, I'd rather hear them do reach out. But. <laughs> right. Oh, right. that yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, add that, that one to the list. Sure. Matt, tell your story to Tommy. Well, see, that's it's funny. When I saw Cheap Trick open it, it was a show at the Philadelphia Park racetrack years ago, and it was like just like the county fair or something like that. So they're set up on a small little stage off to the side. There's only a couple hundred people. And Rick gets up, and he starts doing the rap about, well, this song was in a soundtrack that we're going to play, and I scream out up the creek. And he turns and looks at me and starts waving his hands like there's a bee flying around his head. And he says, up the creek, are you crazy? <laughs> so he wants to go into the Tommy Boy song, which is tonight, or, you know, if you want my love. But and he, then he looks at me again and just says, up the creek, you're crazy. And, of course, everybody around me, we were all total, you know, cheap trick fans. Everybody screaming and clapping and thought that would be good. There was He looked at me like I was insane. I don't yeah. understand why he does not like that song. Uh, he said in an interview with The Onion that it's the worst song he's ever written. Nonsense. Wow. Nonsense. See, there's, that's my point. That's how he views it, but look at how the fans are. Right. I, I like yeah. Spring Break also. I'd love to hear that. I want to hear Spring Break. Heaven's yeah. Falling. I know he didn't write it, so it's like I, every time I see them, I'm always badgering them about those songs because I think they're wonderful. Well, one uh, song I've always wanted them to do is Borderline, and they did it the last time I saw them. So oh, that was another nice. fantastic song. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, that's a, such a, that's one of my favorites for sure, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, but they keep playing the same crap over and over again, and I, I think that they're starting to learn to change some things because I saw them at the uh, the zoo here in Minnesota in Apple Valley, and they gave a really great mixed set of a bunch of different stuff. And then I saw them about a month later at like one of those big rock things where they're opening for Motley Crue, and they did almost the whole Budokan record. Right. And it was appropriate, but it was fun both times because there wasn't a ton of repeats. I remember someone uh, said that uh, Cheap Trick might be listening to us because because they're playing a lot of different stuff from the 80s. Who knows? I hope they are, you know. Listen I mean, to your fans. We love you. If well, you're listening, do Invaders of the Heart. <laughs> <laughs> now they just turned it off. <laughs> but, you know, that's the thing. Yeah. It, it, and that's my argument with, with KISS. It, it wouldn't matter what they played because the people who are going to a KISS show are casual KISS fans. As long as they hear Rock and Roll Night in Detroit Rock City or whatever, it's fine. For me, it's with Cheap Trick. Almost every time I go, it's all people who truly love the band and they really want to see some of this other stuff and they're completely capable of playing the songs. Right. And so I just don't understand why they always feel the need to, to do I Want You to Want Me. I think it's time to put that one away for yeah, a Yeah, but while. I'm telling you, the first time they don't do it, there's going to be a bunch of people going, I got ripped off, they didn't do that song. So what? They'll come back. I know. You know, it just doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I Play for the fans, you know? Cue up That's Bill Murray's doing the From Meatballs It Just Doesn't Matter speech. Yeah. <laughs> well, I always I always had the pipe dream that they would continue those reissues and they would do more of those full album shows the way they did the first three. Oh, yeah, God, that would be awesome. Yeah, those were amazing. Yeah, see, and they did that. I saw them... Um, um, here in town and it was so cool I think it was the second night Aerosmith got up with him 
and played uh, Train Kept Rolling and um, Mama Ken. You mean when they did In Color? Yeah. 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 It was very, very cool. Yeah. That yeah was... I, went, I went to New York and saw them do the, the three nights in a row at Irving Plaza when they did the first three albums. Just insane. Yeah, it doesn't wow. get any better than that. Very cool. So, yeah, I mean, how awesome would it have been if they would have kept going and you know, the next three, done the next three? <laughs> oh, God, I would have loved it. We can hope. Um... As far as the album cover, any thoughts? To me, the album cover kind of gets lost on the racks. It doesn't really jump out as a cheap trick album. I think it's crappy, and I and I we should also talk about the fact that they misspelled Rick's name. Absolutely. Yeah. I was like looking at that, going, "You got to be kidding me." Well, the Japanese import got it right. So. Right. And it's right on. It's right on the album. Yeah. Yeah. It's on the CD that it's wrong. Mm-hmm. And what about the shirt that Rick is wearing on the back cover? <laughs> Yeah, and he's crazy. actually Rick is actually making the same face as the guy in the shirt. The guy's mm-hmm. holding a severed head, yeah. and then Rick is making the exact same face as the guy. Yeah, that's pretty. That should. That's pretty awesome. But I don't, what do you guys think of Robin's pink sweater? Oh, it's stunning. <laughs> and on the inner sleeve, Bunny's wearing a headband, and Robin's doing yoga or something. <laughs> pretty. <laughs> Well, you can't judge a book by its cover or an album by its cover, but uh, yeah, it all works, I guess, in the end. I but, like the blue motif, like the the tour shirts that they had from that uh, tour. They they were that color. They were that light blue color. Those are really cool. But well, but even the cover. I mean, obviously, if you're a cheap trick fan, you recognize Bun E's kind of silhouette with the glasses and the cigarette. It almost could have been a Robin Zander solo album cover because he's the only one you can even make yeah. out on the front. That's what and, I was and I think say. in the fact that even in the production. His voice is still the most distinct part that reminds you of Cheap Trick. And like I said, at, probably at the start, the guitars get kind of lost, and there's Rick caught in the haze somewhere, and uh, Bunny, like you said, is unhappy with the sound of some of the drums. So it's like almost like they became you know, side players, And I think, at this time as well. I mean, obviously, Tom was out of the band, and uh, they were going through all that. And I think the cover, the front cover, certainly, I think, kind of reflects that. It's, it's kind of blurry, and they're not 100% sure what they're doing. Very good. Well, I'm going to wrap up this part of the discussion, and we're going to thank you for listening to our discussion about a great album called Standing on the Edge from 1985. Well, thank you for being on the show, Tommy. I thank hope you for having me. I, I hope it wasn't too difficult or uh, a pain in the neck for you. <laughs> oh, no, I had a great time. It's just I know that I was like, okay, I'm going to come on. I'm a, I'm a Cheap Trick fan, but I don't know as much as you guys do. Oh, so no. You, I appreciate you, you being so kind. No, you're, you're fantastic. You did a great job, and we ask everybody if you're interested in seeing an interesting podcast about uh, KISS uh, you could check out any of our shows but we're promoting the three sides right now so check them out three sides of the coin and uh, Matt has the KISS room as well BJ he has the rock and or roll podcast uh, good recording good time had by all of us so thank you thank you one and all thanks guys see you guys all right, all right God have bless. a great weekend all right oh and happy right. holidays yeah Thanks, yeah, same to you guys. All right, but I know. As we say at the end of every episode, keep cheap tricking. We'll see you guys. Thank you. And that's our show. Trick Chat is an online nonprofit audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to Cheap Trick or any of their members, past or present. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes to buy it. If you enjoyed this show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying keep cheap trickin'.